0: From the beginning, I thought getting people to be generous would be the problem. That's rarely the case. People were very generous with their time, their energy, their contacts, their network. The real problem, the real obstacle was getting people to ask. And it turns out that the request or the ask is what drives the giving-receiving process. There's some research that 90% of the help that is given in the workplace is in response to requests for help. But most people don't ask for what they need. So most of the time, not very much is happening and all the answers and resources you need are just sitting out there waiting for you, but you got to mobilize them in some way.
1: Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm
2: Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago.
1: One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably gonna contribute more at work.
2: Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Hello and welcome to the Best Self Management podcast. I'm your host, Shane Metcalf, and I'm actually flying solo today without my co host, David Hassel. So I'm really excited for today. I've got Dr. Wayne Baker with me today. And Wayne is the Robert P. Tomei Professor of Business Administration and Professor of Management and Organizations at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and Faculty Director of the Center for Positive Organizations. Dr. Baker is author of the book, All You Have to Do Is Ask, as well as five other books and many scholarly articles. Focused on social capital, social networks, generosity, and positive organizations, he's contributed to Harvard Business Review, Chief Executive Magazine, and Sloan Management Review. A frequent guest speaker and management consultant, Baker is a co-founder and board member of Give and Take, Inc., developers of the collaboration technologies based on principles, and all you have to do is ask. Wayne, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, uh, Shane. I'm very glad to be here.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Wayne, we actually had the, the pleasure of connecting at the University of Michigan Center for Positive Organizations conference. The conference is called Positive Organizations, right? Or what's the what's the name of the conference again?
0: So we've uh, met and talked to each other a couple of times at different ones. There's the Positive Business Conference that's every May. Uh, that's the one, yes. Right, right. And then there's the Consortium Conference for members, Consortium members of our Center for Positive Organizations. And that's, uh, there's one in the spring and one in the fall.
2: So one of the things that I was really impressed by the conference and by, by you and much of the other faculty there is that you are proving out the best benefits to business when you start to build positive organizations, when you start to take a slightly different approach than many companies have in terms of actually uh, helping people grow and develop and actually experience a positive orientation at work. And it's been so so cool because sometimes I think we can, you know, at where it can be a little lonely when you're out there championing that, hey, if you actually help your people be and become their best selves at work, everyone's going to benefit. You're going to have a better time at work, but also profitability, productivity, retention, all of these business metrics are going to be massively influenced in a very positive direction. And so it's so cool to go to the conference and see, wow, there's this entire ecosystem of people studying this, thinking about it, talking about it. And so it's been a really cool experience to connect with that community.
0: The same for us at the center. You know, We get to connect with people like you who are putting all this into practice and to other companies that are using it for themselves or providing it as services and it is. It's all part of this big ecosystem, this network of people who are interested in creating thriving organizations, learning how to do it, and then uh, with a conference in the consortium, learning from one another. I think that's really important as well. You know, you've got the book, All You Have to Do is Ask.
2: So can you give us a little bit of a synopsis? You know, What are you asking for? Why is it all you have to do to ask?
0: Well, it's very interesting. Everyone wants a culture of generosity, but it turns out that the barrier is not that people are unwilling or unable to help, but that people are reluctant to ask for what they need. And so we've seen this, this started 20 years ago when Cheryl Baker and I created the Reciprocity Ring, uh, which as you know, is a team activity where People give and get help from one another and people are required to make a request as part of the activity, but they spend most of their time helping other people. Now, in the beginning, I thought getting people to be generous would be the problem. That's rarely the case. People were very generous with their time, their energy, their contacts, their network. The real problem, the real obstacle was getting people to ask. And it turns out that the request or the ask is what drives the giving receiving process. So you think about so there's some research that some people have done said, look, that ninety percent of the help that is given in the workplace is in response to requests for help. But most people don't ask for what they need. So most of the time not very much is happening and like all the answers and resources you need are just sitting out there waiting for you, but you gotta mobilize them in some way.
2: Well, and then when you, what's fascinating is that when you have Humans who aren't getting their needs met, you know, you have all of this work done, but you actually are in a deficiency of your needs being met, then that creates a very specific and usually uncomfortable and somewhat unproductive state of being.
0: Right. But, you know, everyone needs an inflow of resources uh, from other people to be successful, to get their job done. I mean, you need knowledge, information, ideas, opportunities, referrals, connections, emotional support. It's kind of a myth that we work as individuals. I know people try to do that. We call them the lone wolves who are attempting to just put their head down, really focus on the task. And you just can't be that productive that way. Uh, What we found is that actually we found there are four different types, a very common type. And we have an assessment that we've created. It's in the book and it's up on the website for the book. Uh, We found that the most common of these four types is not the lone wolf, but it's what we call the overly generous giver. It's the person who is very, very generous, but never or rarely asks for what they need. And what we found is that that leads to burnout. Uh, It's sometimes called dysfunctional generosity. Now, being generous is really important. And I always advocate um, that it's important to give and to help to do so freely without expectations of return. And you need to make requests for what you need. So the overly generous giver is very well regarded because of their generosity, but their productivity suffers because they're not getting the inflow. The opposite of the overly generous giver is the selfish taker. fortunately, there's not many of those, but there are some. Uh, there's a friend of mine who used to work at IBM Consulting and he said, when I described this to him, he said, oh, we call them sponges. They just, they just suck everything in and they never give anything back out. So the best place to be in those four is what I call the giver requester, somebody who freely and generously helps other people and makes requests when they need something. And what we found is that those people are very, very well regarded because of their generosity, and they're the most productive because of their getting the inflow of all the resources they need to get their job done.
2: So I want to go back to something you said, which is that most of us actually want to build a culture of generosity. And what I'd love to do is I'd actually like to unpack, well, what is a culture of generosity? What does that actually look like? And why would you want it? And also, what's the you know what's in contrast? If you don't have a culture of generosity, what do you have?
0: Well, let's start there. If you don't have a culture of generosity, you have a culture of competition, sometimes cutthroat competition, where it's uh, one against all. Everything is viewed as a zero-sum game. Your gain is my loss. Um, you know, and there, there are a lot of organizations that have that kind of culture, and it's based on. I think an incorrect and false assumption that uh, the best way to get things out of people, the best way to get them to perform is to make them compete against one another. Um, But what we have found through our research and others is that it's really through collaboration and teamwork that um, great things can be accomplished. So you want a workplace culture of generosity because people are collaborating. They're freely helping one another. They're asking for help when they need it. And they're generous when people need some sort of help.
2: I would imagine that also in a culture of generosity, the generosity spills over into areas that aren't strictly about the work. You know that there's there starts to become a little bit more of a generosity for the whole person. You know, it's it's definitely one of the common things that you hear in companies saying, "Hey, we want to we want people to bring their whole self to work. We want to rehumanize business. We want to actually care about people more than just their titles, but actually as the whole complete." Complex, dynamic human beings that we actually are, and that that generosity actually creates more inclusion for the whole person.
0: Absolutely. Uh, in the, some of the studies that we've done, we found that when you're in a generous workplace, it creates emotional energy, and that energy will spill over to home uh, and other parts of your life. Uh, we like to say at the Center for Positive Organizations that there's no clear line between personal and professional. It's just you're a whole self, and that you should be who you are in both places. And if you've got a positive workplace culture, that's gonna benefit you at home and having a you know having a strong family and good connections and friends and all of that stuff, that has positive spillover back over into the workplace too.
2: Yeah, it seems like a really destructive myth that we've had is this like work-life balance, like work is on this side and life is on this side. And I often say in some of my talks that that's a complete myth and it's all just one life. It's all part of our life. That's right. and, and that's right. so you know I think that's one of the real powers and and kind of one of the, what we say see is is part of the higher calling of business is to start contributing to the whole life of somebody of our people because we have such a disproportionate impact on the rest of somebody's life on all of their personal relationships on their health on their mental well-being given that we spend the majority of our time inside of a company that that's going to, Really spill over into every other area of our life, and so I'm curious: has there been any research that you've done or that you've read about where, when you maybe somebody joins an organization and they're not one of those generous givers and takers, they're not in that the upper right quadrant of the model. If they join a, an organization with a strong center of gravity of giving and of gen, a culture of generosity, does that then change the way that they're behaving in their the rest of their life?
0: Oh, I, th- I think it really does. We're always affected by the context or the situation that we're in. So in workplaces that have a strong culture of generosity, they have generosity routines. They have a lot of tools and practices that really Influence how people interact with one another. And I can, I can tell you a very specific one. It's one of the many tools I write about uh, in the book. It's the stand up. So the stand up is very widely used in IT and software development firms. And I think it has huge, widespread application to many other, many other work settings, many other kinds of workplaces. Um, but very simply, it works like this at a particular time each day, maybe at 10 o'clock in the morning, a team will get up, they'll stand in a circle, and each person will say three things. Here's what I worked on yesterday. Here's what I'm working on today. And here's the help that I need. And the help is given later on. I found even in a group of up to 50 or 60 people, that whole that whole process takes 20, 25 minutes maybe. And you go right around and you know, not answering those questions means that you are letting the group down. So someone who uh, is unlikely or is very, maybe is not a good match for that culture of generosity is gonna be swept up in the practice. And the best workplaces make these routines, make them rituals where it's expected uh, to ask for help and to give help.
2: Yeah, it seems that, you know, systems and processes to, to automate some of the asking are really essential. And, you know, because I think that our default stance is that we don't ask the right questions on a regular basis. Like humans kind of suck at consistently asking for what we need or asking how we can help other people. You know, I mean, in fact, it's it's what we built our entire company on is this idea of asking questions, and so we built our product on that. But also, we've really built our our culture on questions. You know, every every night we have dinner together at a retreat, or we go out to lunch. There's always a table question designed to bring everybody into a single conversation and reveal more of ourselves. You know, and we never know what the question is, but the question opens up. Doors of possibility that simply didn't exist before the question was asked. And one of the things that I really love that you've done, and I'd like to go into the ring of reciprocity because what's cool is, you know, for you listening, how Wayne ended up here today is that I participated in the reciprocity ring at the conference last May. And Wayne, you had talked about, you know, well, can, can you describe the ring of reciprocity and then I can share a little bit of, of the story of how we're here today?
0: Sure thing. Um, there are a couple of variations of the reciprocity ring. The main one, the formal one, is, is the tool that Cheryl and I created 20 years ago. And essentially, it's a group of people who will get together. It's done face-to-face. Um, there are some props and posters that we use. But it's essentially that process of everyone takes turns and you ask for what you need. And we have certain criteria about what's a well-formulated request. And then other people will think about how they can help. And it could be that they have the resource or they have the answer and they could share it. Or if they don't, they can tap their network and they make, can make a connection or a referral. The variation that we did at the conference that you participated in was done for a larger group where we used uh, poster paper. Everyone got a flip chart size piece of poster that's just sticky at the top. And on the top half, you had to write what your request is. And I went over the criteria for a well-formulated request and everyone- Can,
2: can, you, just, can you just uh, share that? Because I think that's a really important thing, right? Because sometimes we don't know how to ask because we just don't know what is a good ask.
0: Absolutely. Part of making an, a, an effective request is making what I call a well-formulated or smart request. So I have smart criteria, Although the letters mean something a little bit different than the traditional definition of smart. So S means specific. When you make a specific request, you trigger people's memories of what they know and who they know. A general request doesn't get much help. But I have found that people sometimes think a general request is like casting a, a wide net. You'll get more answers. But the fact is, the opposite is true because of the way that the human memory works. And this is a departure from the usual definition of M, which is measurable. Uh, and I think measurability is nice and that's important. Here, M is meaningful. For meaningful and important, it's the why of the request. Why are you making the request? And I found that people often leave that out. That's a very important element because that really motivates people. Uh, the A is for action or action-oriented. You want to ask for something to be done. A goal is not a request. A goal is a destination, something you're trying to achieve or a place you're, you're trying to arrive at. And a request helps you move towards that goal. The R is for realistic. And by that, I mean strategically sound, uh, but it can be a stretch goal. There's some absolutely amazing things that have happened when people have used the reciprocity ring, including we have uh, more than one example of where it's actually saved someone's life uh, because of the resource that they were able to, to get. And then the T is for time bound. There has to be a deadline. And I always urge everyone to make that specific. If you need it next Monday, then you should say that. The urgency will motivate people. Vague deadlines don't motivate people. Like sometime next year, it doesn't really motivate people to respond. So specific, meaningful, action-oriented, strategically sound or realistic, and time-bound. So we went over those. If you recall, I gave a couple of examples. And then everyone filled out. Each person had the flip chart paper, filled out the top half. And then we put them on all four walls in this very large classroom. Everyone had a marker and you would go around and you would read each one. And if you could help, and you could help either by, you've got the answer, you could share the resource or you could tap your network, you would write your name and your contact information on the bottom half. And people would go around doing that. And my request was opportunities to speak about my forthcoming book. And you very kindly responded to that and that's why we're here today.
2: Yeah, it was such a cool experience, you know, we're in this really large lecture hall, and going around to each of the pages and you know, there were there were some really interesting requests and again, everyone in this room for the most part was a stranger. I hadn't met a single person in this room other than maybe you and one or two other people. And all of a sudden, I'm going around and I'm looking and I'm seeing the request and I think that there is this very innate part of a human being that wants to help other people when we're like, "Oh yeah, I actually I know how to help. Somebody, This woman in there asked, I'm interested in starting a treatment center for teenage girls in my community, and I'm looking for resources. Well, my mom actually ran a treatment center for teenage girls in New Mexico, where I grew up. And so then it was this obvious, oh, of course. And so I put my information down, we reached out, and then I connected her to my mom. And I I believe they've now had a conversation. And it's so cool because it's like, we have every person has this vast wealth of resources in our lives. And we don't even know how resource-rich we are um, until somebody asks that specific question of, hey, I need help with that thing that you didn't even realize you were sitting on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I re- I remember that very clearly, that request and your offer of help and it was probably something you hadn't been thinking about when you were at the conference. It was triggered by that very, very specific request. And we've seen that time and time again. I can relate one example um, where we ran the reciprocity ring for a large automaker here in Detroit. And there was a very senior engineer who was working on some really complex metallurgical problem with aluminum. And I have to say, I didn't really understand what he was talking about, but, but other people did. And he said, I'm really stuck on this problem, and my request is to consult with an expert. Well, the person who helped was a 22-year-old admin who had just been hired by the company. And you might wonder, well, how could that person help? Well, it turned out that her father was the world's expert on that problem. He had recently retired, and his wife was encouraging him to spend more time outside of the home. So a connection was made, and the 22-year-old admin's father met with a senior engineer and they worked together and they solved the problem. And so sometimes help comes from very unlikely places. And it's because we have networks. We have networks that extend way out into the world, you know, thousands of people that we don't think of on a regular basis until we get a request. And it's the request that triggers our memories of, of who we know as well as what we know.
2: And so it's it's so fascinating because if you're in a company and you're just going about your day and you have a transactional role and it's just kind of, you know, you treat your employees or you treat your coworkers, like coworkers and you're kind of I do my job and then I leave and then and then I have my life outside. But then maybe you come in to the organization and you run the the reciprocity ring and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, actually well, my child has this rare disease and we've tried a lot of effort, we've tried finding solutions, but nothing's worked. And then you go through this process and maybe you put that up like, I need help finding a specific solution to my child's illness. And this maybe a little vulnerable because they're bringing something very personal to the table around your needs in a professional environment. And then all of a sudden, somebody maybe has a connection to a specialist or mm-hmm. knows something about this situation. And all of a sudden, you go from this is a job that pays the bills to this is it, working at this company transformed my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen uh, several examples of um, requests that have been fulfilled right along the lines that you described. And you're absolutely right. It really humanizes the workplace. People start to see one another as whole selves, as you know, complete human beings. And when someone at work has helped you in that very, very personal way, I mean, that creates a strong emotional bond. And that's a foundation for future collaboration at work.
2: It's so interesting how generosity is one of the fastest ways to build trust, which you know we, we know tr- you need that high level of trust in order to have effective communication and collaboration.
0: You know, uh, one thing I found uh, writing this book and um, compiling all these various tools, I mean, the book is very much a how-to book, Because over the years, people would say, okay, well, I'm really motivated to do something, but what do I do? How do I do it? So I've assembled kind of a toolbox of different ways uh, that it can be done. But your comment made me think about the underlying principle behind all these tools. We call it the behavior first principle. Uh, It's that one way to change what people do or one way to change how people think and believe is to try to educate them in some way. Another is that you change what they do, and then they update their beliefs. So all of these tools are based on the the principle of behavior first, which basically means just do it and look at the results, right? You don't have to believe the process is going to work. For example, the stand-up that I just described or the reciprocity ring, I am certain in that session that we had in Ann Arbor uh, last May is that there were a lot of people in that room going oh, I don't know who can help me with this. I'm really wondering if there's anyone in this group, but I'm going to do it anyway. I signed up, I might as well do it. And then they're really, really surprised with what is actually possible. And then they believe that the tools work. Yeah, right.
2: Because if we started with, okay, we're going to explain why this is a really good idea and we're going to really try to convince you just by education, just by awareness around it. You know, It could end up still being like, Eh, it seems like a cool idea. It wouldn't work for me. But, but then, you, then you actually, you know you just throw the person into the pool and all of a sudden they're swimming and they're asking, and then they're getting the very unexpected help that they didn't think they could get.
0: It's funny. There's been a number of times uh, because of scheduling and other things when I've used some of these tools in a corporate setting that there was no time for any introduction at all. So literally, we just started the tool without any explanation and it was amazing how effective that is because if you could just get people to do it, they'll understand, they'll see it, and then they'll update their beliefs and say, hey, this is, I, I, I get the principle here. I see what's going on. I see that this kind of thinking really works.
2: Everyone has needs, right? There's like, I, I like to think of business used to just kind of uh, play to the bottom two rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're going to be physically safe at work, and we're going to pay you enough money to cover the basics of your life. And now I think that you know, the, the most innovative, the best businesses in the world are understanding actually, we can contribute to belonging, we can contribute to esteem, that our business can become a valid path of self-actualization for the individuals that come into our company. And helping people meet those needs, helping, like asking people, what do you need? And then everyone else contributing to that, I think creates such a, a powerful effect so thank you for the inspiration on that. I'd love to get into for our listener, how can they take this and put this into action? You know, can you give us a little bit of a framework of how do you actually take it from theory into action? And I also would love to hear a little bit you, you talk a little bit about Givitas, which is a software product that you've built and that has actually helped facilitate this inside of organizations.
0: The first thing to do is to think about what you're trying to achieve and the resource you would need to achieve it. So I have uh, three different methods in the book that are tools that will help someone to figure that out. The first one is called the quick start method. And just like its name, it's a fast one. And it's a series of five questions that are incomplete sentences, and you need to fill in the blanks. And so what I'll do is that I'll read two of them uh, so everyone will have a sense of how it actually works. So one is, and there are two blanks in each one. So I am currently working on, and I could use help too. So if you think about those two, how you would fill that in. And then another one would be, one of the biggest challenges in my life is two, and I need advice on. So there's others, but it gives you the idea is that if you, answer, so I've used this in executive ed rather extensively, uh, you know, people take some time, they go through, they complete these sentences, and they start to get a really good sense of okay, well, what is it? Helps to prioritize what is important? What am I trying to achieve? And what do I need to achieve it? So then they have the basis of what a request might be. All right, I've, I've got one. I've got one. And yeah.
2: for, for whoever, for our listener, I'm working on getting this podcast ranked as a, as a top business podcast in iTunes, and I need reviews to help make that happen. So I would be so touched and delighted if you're enjoying the podcast, if you would go write a review for the best self-management podcast.
0: How'd I do? How'd I do? You just did it. You just did it right there. And you can imagine if you did that, say, once a day, you went through that process. You took one of the, I read two, there's five of them. Let's say use one each day. You know, that if you start doing that, you start getting into the habit of thinking about, okay, what am I trying to achieve? What are my priorities? What do I actually need? And then the next step, I would say, okay, now you need to state it as a smart request. You know, make it specific, explain why it's meaningful, action-oriented, the deadline, time, and that sort of thing. And then the step after that, and you already jumped to that, which was, who do you ask? So you have a built-in network, which is the audience, the growing audience uh, for this podcast. And so you broadcast it to the whole group. And for people who who don't have a podcast, there are other ways of doing it, like LinkedIn, there's social media, Facebook, depending on what groups you're a part of. But there are other methods, too, that I can can share with you. One I call the the two-step method. So it could be that I don't know who to ask, But I know someone who I could ask who might know someone. So it's two steps or two degrees of separation. Uh, There's a colleague of mine here at the Ross School. um, His name is Jeff DeGraff. And he's like the expert on innovation. And he used that two-step method 180 times in one year with remarkable success. And what he would say is, he says, you know, we often don't know who the expert is, but we know who to ask who knows who the expert is. And so it's that two-degree method, two-step method. Another is to think about uh, your dormant connections. So a dormant tie is someone that you once had a close relationship with, but your lives have gone in separate directions and you haven't been in touch for quite a long time. It turns out that those dormant ties are really, really valuable because you went in different directions. They now know different things from what you know, and their networks have changed in ways so they don't overlap as much with your network. And the research shows that not only are they valuable, is that they almost always welcome the reconnection. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm not going to reconnect with somebody like from college or an old teacher or something because it's been so long and I haven't, haven't maintained contact. The research shows just the opposite. The research shows that if you reacted by the, that connection, people will be delighted to hear from you. You know, the, that emotional bond, that history is still there. They're often very, very excited to um, to be reconnected and Really good sources of, of help.
2: It's so fascinating. It, it makes me wonder: Do you have to believe something in order to be willing to, you know? Because it kind of it takes some emotional courage to ask. I think that we're we're kind of taught in this culture: do everything by yourself. You know, especially in a in a maybe in a job situation. You know, we have this idea that if we're any good, if we're a high performer, if we're talented, well, then we need to do it ourselves. And I'm curious, are there any kind of prerequisites of what would be helpful to believe about, about reality, about other people that would make asking easier?
0: There's a couple that I could, I could relate, and I think they're really important. One is that sometimes we don't ask because we fear that people would think we are incompetent or weak, ignorant, can't do our job. But the research shows just the opposite as long as you make a thoughtful request, a thoughtful, intelligent request, use those smart criteria, people will think you are more competent, not less. So that's, a, that's something helpful to know. Now, now what,
2: about, know. what about in a competitive cutthroat culture, you know, uh, where everyone is kind of uh, competing against each other, how does that play out?
0: Well, the, the competition does get in the way, and yet you still find there are opportunities for collaboration. So if someone who's in an extremely competitive situation at work, I would say look for opportunities to give help to others. You know, start building that foundation. Find ways. It it could be as simple that you heard a podcast and you could say, hey, you know, I thought of you. I was listening to this podcast. I think you might find this interesting. Or I read something online and I, here, I printed it out for you. Like make those little investments and you can start to really kind of you know, work away at that hyper competitiveness. That doesn't work at all, but that that would be a way I would focus on giving first before I would ask. Another is that is to ask for safe things. So you want to be thoughtful, but it can be a smaller one. And another is to think of, you know, well, maybe I just need to tap my outside network. Maybe the workplace isn't the place to do it. But I have a network that extends outside, and I'm going to ask those people when I need help.
2: Yeah. Well, what I love about this is that this applies equally to our professional lives as well as our personal lives. There, there. You know, there's no, there's no domain of human experience that this wouldn't apply to. And I think that's that's always something that I'm really interested in is how do we make our businesses effective by by teaching people, hey, we're going to teach you a method for asking what you want and what you need so that you can be more successful in business. And then the byproduct is that all of a sudden you start doing this in your personal life and you as a whole person begin to blossom. Like those are my favorite kind of social technologies that, um, th- so that really we are making a positive impact on our people well beyond the confines of their work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think it's very important that the leader, whether it's a team leader or leader of the orga- of the entire organization, that they are a role model of the behavior that they want. So if they want a culture of generosity where people ask for and give help to one another, then the leaders got to do the same thing. They have to be willing to be vulnerable. I mean, every now and then I've seen leaders suffer from what I call the sage syndrome. You know, they're the great sage, they're the font of all wisdom and knowledge and they don't need anything and uh, they got all the answers, you should just come to them. Well, that, you know, that's not unrealistic. You know, leaders need help too. And if they are voicing their requests, I think it really helps to set the stage and sets the cultural tone um, that will encourage other people to do it as well. I have seen the opposite. So, um, so you mentioned Givitas, uh, so Givitas is the digital version of the reciprocity ring, if you will. Uh, so it can be much, much larger groups and it's asynchronous, don't have to be in the same place at the same time and so forth. And there we've seen it very effective for bridging organizational silos in large organizations. And every now and then, we've seen a leader step in and criticize a request that someone made. And when they do that, you see it like freezes for a moment because it's like everyone's now not sure whether they should make a request or not. Fortunately, that doesn't happen very often, but it really illustrates or underscores the importance of the leader's behaviors now, other ones we've seen where the leader is the first one to put a request out on Give it Us, and they regularly put requests out there. So if a leader does that, they're really setting the tone and the standard of behavior, what they want other people to do.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's, it really seems like generosity is another pillar, but it also rests it relies upon other things like baselines of, of psychological safety of knowing that it's okay to make a request like that, that you won't be punished, you won't be singled out and, and you know identified as weak because you didn't have all the answers yourself.
0: Yeah, I've, I've written about psychological safety and its relationship to some of the tools that I write about in the book. And here's what I've concluded. It's really a circle. So that if a workplace is psychologically safe, the tools I write about are more effective. However, the tools are effective even in in a place that is not psychologically safe and it makes a place psychologically more safe. Yeah. And people start experimenting with it. So I say, you know, just jump in with the behavior. Take one of these tools, run the experiment, you know, use it for 30, 45 days. And over time, even if it's an unsafe place to be, it'll start making it a safer place to be because you're running the experiment. People are starting to see the results. They're updating their beliefs. So it's, yeah, when it's a safe place, the tools work better when it's not a safe place, the tools work and then make it a safer place.
2: Well, you know, it reminds me of, there's, of a Buckminster Fuller quote, and I'm going to, I'm sure, butcher it. But it's something along the lines of, you know, don't try to change the consciousness of people. Make tools that, and by using them, change the consciousness of the people. And that it's actually just, you know, it's almost kind of a Trojan horse that you just introduce this new tool and then all of a sudden people are doing it. And that actually changes the belief system that creates a psychological safety, which begets more generosity, which begets more psychological safety.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that quote. Uh, And it made me think of a a reciprocity ring that I ran a couple of years ago. And there was an executive from the Netherlands who was attending. and We were running this in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And... I kind of gave a short introduction, and at the break, he came up to me and he says, "He goes, I don't believe this. I just don't believe this is going to work." And I'm thinking to myself, "I said, well, this isn't really religion. I don't think you have to believe." I said to him, "I said, well, would you just do it? Would you just go through the steps?" And he said, "Well, okay." He said, "I can. I'll just go through the steps then." But as he went through it, you can almost see the look on his face change when he's getting help from unexpected places on something he was trying to solve. And it inspired him to be really helpful and to respond to other people's requests. And at the end of the activity, the end of that afternoon, he came up to me again. He goes, okay, now I believe. Now I believe. But it was the behavior, at least being willing to do it. In fact, this, you know, it's important to experiment. That would be another thing I would recommend is to run the experiment. It can be small experiments with asking for what you really need. And learn from those. If it works, why did it work? Did you use the smart criteria? that that help? If it didn't work, uh, did you not tell people why it was meaningful? Did you, you didn't have a deadline on it? Whatever. Uh, but to run the experiment and over time, you learn how to do it and it becomes a habit.
2: So 15.5, we've built a technology platform that automates a lot of the best practices of management to build world-class workplaces. But we know that technology is not enough by itself. There needs to be education and awareness. That is largely why we've started this podcast, so we can talk about the philosophy driving the company, driving the product. We're really excited to announce that we are releasing another platform that is really going to help with that process.
1: We're introducing the 15.5 Best Self Academy. So if you love these topics and you want to go through a process of actually learning some of these, putting them into action, giving opportunities for your leaders, your managers, your employees to learn the fundamental practices of best self-management, you can go online to the 15.5 Best Self Academy Sign up for the various courses there. We have some free content. We have some more in-depth paid content. And we hope this will support you in your journey in creating a Best Self world-class workplace. So please go online to the 15.5 Best Self Academy. That's at 15.5.com slash academy. Okay,
2: so... I'd love to get into some, um, you know, you have a lot of really incredible resources on your website. All you have to do is ask.com. Because one of the things that I'm thinking of is, you know, I I hear this, I'm inspired. Maybe I don't have the influence to run this company wide, but a really probably a really easy way to do it would be maybe with my team. You know, maybe I have five or ten people on my team and I could say, hey, I'm gonna run a reciprocity ring with just those 10 people. How do I actually do that? I'm pretty sure that you have some really great handouts that explain in very simple steps how to take some of these things and put them into action. Can you talk a little bit of the resources that you have at all you have to do is ask.com?
0: We've created a number of free resources that are very helpful. So the website is thebooktitle.com. So all you have to do is ask.com. Uh, you go there and you can take the assessment. It's a quick assessment. It is a scientifically validated assessment. And when you do that, you'll get to see where you are on those four types that I described earlier. So you'll get a score on asking and you get a score on giving. Most people we found are in the overly generous category. So they they give a lot more than they ask. Um, But it gives you a sense of where you are. And if other people in the team do it too, it's the beginning of of a conversation. You've got some data to work with. Another asset that we have on the website is a downloadable infographic. It's the map or the journey of the all you have to do is ask process. You know, it starts with giving yourself permission to ask, you climb the mountain, which is to how to overcome the obstacles um, that stand in the way of asking, updating your beliefs based on the evidence from research, how to make a smart request, the tools and so forth. And I found that 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 infographic uh, is really helpful as a is a one page, very colorful, fun graphic that kind of outlines the whole process. And you think about that, it can be very useful for reminding yourself of what you need to do. And in a team, uh, I would print it out and give it to everyone and have a discussion about it. And it is free. It's downloadable. I would encourage everyone to download it and to, and to freely share it. And then from there, you would you would pick some of the tools that you'd want to try. So there are at least eight or ten team oriented tools. So we talked about the reciprocity ring, the stand-up. There are different kinds of huddles. There's an activity that I call the one problem a week whiteboard. There are many different tools that people have used and say, okay, as a team, uh, let's pick one of those and run the experiment for the next 45 days. You know, We're going to use that tool on a regular basis and we'll see what happens. So um, I would invite people to go to the website to use those free assets, those free resources, and then meet with your team and figure out what do you want to try. So Wayne, um, I got a question for you. What are you working on
2: and what do you need? Was that, did I get it right? Was that the right format?
0: Yeah, so I have found that what I've written about in this book to be really, really helpful for people. And my mission is to really bring it to as many people as possible. So that's why I so much value and appreciate this opportunity to talk with you today and to and to reach your audience And so my request would be for more opportunities to do that. And I would like those in the next three months. I use my SMART criteria, you know, that people would contact me. You could contact me right through the website. All you have to do is ask.com. So I'm looking for things that we can do in the next quarter. So I say quarter one, or at least we can set it up for a little bit later in the year. Why is it important is that I've seen how this can change people's lives for the better. They become more successful, better able to do their jobs, I've seen how it's really made tame, a team super effective. And so what I'm asking for are connections and opportunities. And um, sometime in the next few months, the next three months, quarter one would be great. And
2: I will I will ask for you for our listener, please go buy Wayne's book. It's really, really cool what you're doing, Wayne. I just love it. I think of you know our philosophy around how do you shift a, a business culture. From one that's purely managing performance to one that's actually helping people be and become their best selves. But that's actually how you create highly engaged, high-performing organizations. Is by helping people become their best selves and asking, you know, fulfilling our human needs, creating this culture of generosity, getting what we want in life is one of, you know, it's an essential path to becoming our best self. So I I just I just love it. I love what you're up to. It's a really exciting world to live into. You know, you think of if cultures of generosity were the norm in business, how different our engagement stats would look, how different people would think about their jobs. You know, I think that, you know, something something that's pretty funny that happens at 155 is that somebody will join our company and they used to bond with their friends by going out to drinks after after work and talking crap about their jobs. And everybody would would commiserate and, oh, you know, this and this, and I can't believe this happened. And then what, something that happens with our employees, they often will suddenly find themselves, wait, I actually really like my job. And suddenly uh, there's a little crisis of belonging with their friends because they don't have anything to talk about with them. <laughs> um, they don't have anything to bitch about. And I think that if more cultures were we're operating from this paradigm that you're talking about, that we would just see a very different world of work. And so that's the world that I I believe we can actually create together.
0: We're definitely on the same page. I think the work that you're doing with 15.5 is really, really important and essential. And um, this has been great to have an opportunity to to speak with you today.
2: Thanks so much, Wayne. Really appreciate you joining us.
0: Uh, My pleasure. Thank you. A
1: big thank you to our producer, Counter Creative, and our executive producer, David Misnay, and Stacy Hurst, our guest coordinator. Please visit 155.com slash podcast. That's the number 15 and the word five. For more information on today's discussion, for additional resources and special offers. One of the easiest and highest leverage things you can do to support us in this
2: podcast is write a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. It really does go a long way in terms of getting the word out and more people. And hear this message so that we can start a movement and truly get more and more businesses out there helping their people become their best selves.
1: To get all the latest episodes, please subscribe to Best Self Management on iTunes or Google Play. And if you have a question or comment you'd like us to address in a future show, please email us at podcast at 155.com. And finally, thank you for listening to this podcast. Until next time, know that we
2: support you in being and becoming your best self.